it's only appropriate that we start this service off with a scripture reading. Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They, were, they, they, come, they, they went expecting a dead body. They came to prepare a body for burial. And they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, already ascribing deity to him. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothes. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, angels, by the way, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions. This is what makes the Lord Jesus Christ unique. Is he, he claimed, he proclaimed his message, and then like everybody else, he died. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. It was the validation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is placed in the right place in him. Amen? Amen. He is risen. Life begins when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and your walk's wobbly, or you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior outright, open your heart. Open your heart to him. Open your heart to him. He is here. He is here by his Holy Spirit. And he invites you to open your heart to him. So as I teach through the scriptures this morning, and we go back and we look at what happened a long time ago, say, Lord, open my heart. Open my heart to what Pastor David is talking about as he's teaching from the Bible. Open my heart. As a, for a casual reader of the Bible, it's like, oh, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. Okay, I got it. But it's so much more than that. If you dig in deep and you study all four of the Gospels and you study the New Testament church and you see what took place that weekend, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. This morning we're going to look at it from the angle of four people. We're going to look at what happened on that Friday afternoon in his resurrection from the angle of Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus. We're going to pick up where he died on the cross. We're looking at what millions of Christians around the world today are looking at. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. His resurrection from the dead. Man's greatest enemy. Man's greatest enemy was defeated. Now we've come into this world and we're sinners. And because of sins coming into the world, death is in effect. It's the ultimate statistic. Ten out of ten people die. Okay? There's no way to avoid it. There's no way to get around it. It's going to happen. But what happens after death is the big question. And his resurrection from the dead answers that question. Eternal life. So many times we think of that word, it's just a blasé word, eternal life. We think of it as just a blasé word. It's just a religious word. It's just what happens at the end of life. But it's a big question. Because when we leave this life, how long are we going to be gone for? Forever. There's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. Question for you this morning. Something for you to think about. Because we're going to go into the mind of Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, and Mary. 
But before we talk about these four people and what they experienced on that weekend, question for you this morning. What was the greatest experience you ever had in life? You think about that yourself. What was the greatest thing that's happened in your life? What was just so magnificent? What you just overwhelmed in joy? What events? For each one of us, it would be a different event. But what was it? You think about it for yourself. Then ask the question, what was the lowest point in your life? What was the point in your life so far in your existence where tragedy struck? Maybe you you lost a loved one. Maybe something very sad happened. And you compare and you contrast them. What was the amount of time between those events? Was it days, months? Was it years? Was it decades? My friend, what happened to Mary Magdalene and Mary and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they went from the deepest, darkest despair, I call the lowest point in their life, to the heights of inexpressible joy, all in a matter of 36 hours. What an emotional weekend that must have been. What an emotional weekend that must have been. So here in my teaching this morning for Easter Sunday, we have two men, two women. From the deepest, darkest despair to the mountain of indescribable joy. Mary Magdalene, Mary, Nicodemus, and Joseph of Arimathea, all within the span of 36 hours from the deepest, darkest shallows of death and destruction and dreams crushed and perplexed to the mountaintop of joy. Let's pray, and then, uh, then you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at what happened on this magnificent weekend a long time ago, let it become real in our hearts this morning. If there's anyone here that is, that is not real, it's not rhema, it's not living inside them, let it become real by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. John chapter 19, we're going to pick up at verse 38. It's um, late Friday, late Friday on Good Friday, sometime after 3 p.m., Jesus has been crucified. The crucifixion has taken place, and he is dead on the cross. John 19, 38, let's pick it up right there. After these things, talking about the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, But a secret one for fear of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 100 pounds pounds of weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. They laid Jesus there. So here in the Gospel of John, we reveal that God has chosen two men, two men with 
the honor, uh, with the, the privilege of removing the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, off the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a wealthy man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a 71-member council that ruled and oversaw uh, the religion of Judaism. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. Interesting that you have a teacher of the law and a ruling member of Judaism taking down the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go all kind of ways there. Jesus was what the law pointed to. Jesus was who the Old Testament pointed to. He was the fulfillment of prophecy. Joseph of Arimathea, he attempted to keep his love for Jesus a secret. There was something about the Lord Jesus that drew his heart in and said, I got to have this. And he had a love for the Lord, but he had a fear of the religious leaders. He couldn't handle it no more. So he boldly goes to Pilate. That was a bold statement to go to Pilate and say, let me take the body down. Let me take the body down. Church history tells us, not in scripture, but church history tells us that he was arrested and imprisoned after the events. Um, Joseph of Arimathea, you find him right here on crucifixion weekend and resurrection weekend, but you don't find him nowhere else in the Bible. He shows up, he's on the scene, and then after his resurrection, we, uh, we have no more information about him. But church history tells us that he was, um, he was imprisoned. Then you have Nicodemus here. Have you ever been to a football game and seen those signs in the end zone that says, you must be born again, or John 3.16, or Tim Tebow's little 3.16 under his eyes? Have you ever seen that before? Who was that statement made to, and who was it made by? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, and that you must be born again. Those were statements from Jesus to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So the most powerful Bible verse, the most famous Bible verse, was spoken from Jesus to Nicodemus. Nicodemus heard it straight from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now these two men have the privilege of taking the body down. What was it like? What was it like to remove the body of God from the cross. Please get this. Please understand this. Let it sink in deep what it must have been like on that tragic Friday afternoon where their hopes were crushed and their dreams were dashed. What was it like to pull the cold, lifeless body of the Lord Jesus Christ down? And to make matters even worse, Matthew 27, 61 teaches that Mary and Mary Magdalene stood from a distance and they witnessed this event. It was a very painful, it was a very agonizing moment. So what was it like as they go to remove the body of Jesus? First, they look at these hands, these hands that are nailed to the cross, that are secured with spikes. These are the hands that are bloodied and marred, but not long ago, these hands broke the bread on that Thursday evening. These hands wrote in the, took, took his finger across the sand and wrote in the sand and told the Pharisees when they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery, says, he who's without sin, you cast the first stone. He drove back the religious leaders that condemned her. It was these hands that wrote in the sand. It was these hands 
that applied the mud and healed the sick. It was these hands that went around doing good. It was these hands that washed the disciples' feet. And now they have nails in them. How they got them off, whether they removed the nails or they pulled their hands off, we don't know. But what was it like to look at those hands? No doubt that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they looked down at his feet. They looked down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ that was nailed to the bottom. These were the feet that walked on water. These were the feet that, uh, that Mary anointed and washed with her hair. Exactly one week prior to this, this happened on a Friday, Good Friday, but the scripture teaches exactly one week before this, seven days prior to this event in the garden where they're taking his body down. Listen to John chapter 12, verse 3. One week prior, probably about the same time in the evening, it says, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. So Mary worships the Lord, anoints his feet, washes her hair, this act of worship, this act of surrender, this act of preparing him for what he was going to go through. And now, one week later, she's watching as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus remove the body. Then they looked up. They looked up at the cross, at the inanimate face of Jesus. They looked at his face, the face that once radiated the glory of God in the Mount of Transfiguration now cold and lifeless. The eyes that sparkled light, the life of God in people, now stared at nothingness. His lips that spoke such grace and truth, his lips that speak the words that we Christians love to study. And, you know, we study verse by verse, line by line through the Bible at Calvary Chapel. And when we go through the Gospels, we're studying the words that came off the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now on this day, those lips that spoke these words that we study in the Bible, they're bruised, they're bloody, and they're swollen. No doubt, it was a difficult task. It was a difficult task for Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They had to physically, we're not given the details and the mechanics of what they did, but these two men had to physically take the body down, remove the nails, and they had to remove his body off the cross. No doubt, they witnessed the bloody and his beaten back. They, they witnessed the gaping hole in his side. They, they had to have they had to been the ones to remove the crown and saw the deep gashes in his head. There had to be a sense of outrage. It would be for me. A sense of outrage overwhelmed them. They had to transport, Scripture teaches, they transported the body from the cross to the empty tomb. No doubt when you're transporting a body that's just been crucified, this, this endured a Roman crucifixion, there's no doubt that they got blood on themselves. And here you have a member of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisee with blood on themselves. What do you think went through their mind? I think maybe they thought about the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb and how the blood had to be applied to the doorpost to be forgiven. Maybe they thought about, um, it was Passover week. Maybe they thought about all the lambs that were sacrificed in the temple and the blood that had to be shed. And now they had the body of the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sins in their arms. There had to be a sense of outrage. But then I believe being 
teacher of the law and being a leader in Judaism, they remembered what the prophet said. The prophet said in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings, we are healed. We're not given. The scripture doesn't give us what they thought and what their minds, but we can put the pieces together. We can put the pieces together based on what we see, what we're going to see in Matthew when the women came to the tomb. What did the angel say? I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid. And don't fear, because they were shell-shocked. The disciples, but we're really looking at these four people, but throw the disciples into this category too. All the followers of Jesus, the men and the women, were perplexed. They were perplexed that day. They were shocked. They were in disillusionment. This was their state of mind. Their spirits were crushed. I asked you in the beginning, I said, what what was the lowest moment in your life? I have no doubt this was the lowest moment in their life on that good Friday. And what made it even more painful was now they have to wait through the Sabbath. Too bad the Pharisees didn't. They broke the Sabbath. They went the next day and went to Pilate. Start collaborating and making plans to make it a cover-up but they had to wait through the Sabbath. It was a very painful day. That was the lowest moment, okay? And you got to understand the lowest moment of the cross and what took place there to understand the inexpressible glory and majesty of his resurrection and how great of a message it is once you understand the lowest moment, okay? We can't fully understand grace and the magnificence of grace until we understand our fallen nature, until we understand where we are apart from God. It's once we understand our, our, our human depravity and our wretchedness and our complete inability to do it on our own that then with grace becomes amazing. So that was the lowest point. Now, let's fast forward and let's celebrate and let's look at his resurrection Resurrection from the dead. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. I really, I, I was wrestling this week with which account. I love all four of the accounts of the resurrection. The, the four different accounts of the resurrection are like four people standing on four different street corners. They see a car accident and they all report it from a different angle. They all give us valuable information. But I, I like Matthew's. This, my friend, was the peak, the pinnacle of their life witnessing the resurrection of Jesus Matthew chapter 28 I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 it says uh, now after the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave and behold a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Boom, just out. Love it. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. For he has risen just as he said. 
Come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, I love this. There's four beholds in here, by the way. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. They went from the deepest, darkest despair to the greatest heights of joy. And my friend, God wants the same thing for you. He wants you to experience this indescribable joy. Notice how um, they came to the tomb in verse 5. It says, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. They were afraid. They were still in a state of shock. They were still in a state of shock. But notice how they left the tomb. Look at verse 8. Um, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. You know what that is? You know what hunters call that? What do hunters call that? Buck fever. Buck fever. They were shaking. They were trembling. But it wasn't because they were scared. It was because like, oh my, could this really be true? Could he really be risen from the dead? That nightmare that we witnessed on Friday, could it be over? Could this be the Messiah, the long-awaited one who was promised to Israel? Could this be him? And they were overwhelmed in joy. They went from the deepest, darkest despairs to the highest peaks of joy. They witnessed the apex of Christianity. My friend, at the end of the day, as Christians, that's where we hang our hat. That's where we hang our hat, on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we love him. That's why we serve him. Because not only did he die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, but he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. What happened on this weekend long ago is how, for, for my, my thinkers out here, what happened on this weekend long time ago is how Christianity answers two of life's greatest questions that no other religion can answer. And that is this, how do I find forgiveness of sin? How do I find forgiveness of sin? Christianity answers that where no other one doesn't. Through the atoning work of Jesus dying on the cross, it answers how a wretch like me can be completely forgiven of everything I've ever done. That's how people find forgiveness. It's through grace, through Jesus, through the cross. And that's what Christianity offers. It offers many things. And then it answers the, the huge question, which we talked about in the beginning of my sermon, which is what happens when you die? Is there life on the other side? His resurrection from the dead answers that question. It answers that question that there is life on the other side. That there is a place called heaven reserved for those who trust in him. John chapter 14. There is a place called heaven. For the rest of my message, I'm going to pull out four words in this text. And my friend, 
this is an invitation to you that maybe you're not walking with Christ. This is an, an invitation to you. So please, open your heart. There's an invitation. There's four things the angels say in this text that I want to bring to your attention. Four things. One is come. Two is see. Three is go. And four is tell. Come, see, go, and tell. Let's look at those. The first one that God is saying to you this morning through the teaching is come. Come. Look at verse 5. It says in verse 5, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. There it is right there, guys. Come. See the place where he was lying. The angel said, come, come, ladies. I know what you've experienced. I know what you saw. Now come look in the tomb. They came looking for dead men, but they discovered a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. They met him that morning. They're going to fall at his feet. They're going to worship him. They got to see him with their eyes. They came to anoint a dead man, and then they discovered the one who defeated death, the one who defeated death. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with Christ, with God, that answers the biggest questions in life. We've got to get these answers and these questions figured out so we can go about and live our lives and do the things that God has called us to do. To go off to college, to go make a career, to go make a family. But we've got to get this settled first. We've got to get this settled first. Jesus invites you this morning to come. He invites you to come. He, he, he invites you to draw near. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says these words. He says, here it is, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You need rest for your soul. You need rest for your heart. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. Things aren't going the way they should, and you just need rest. You need rest in your mind. You need rest in your heart. Jesus offers you rest, and he says, come. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He invites us to come and be a part of Christianity, to be a part of his grand plan, and being an evangelist and witnessing to people and sharing the gospel and making us fishers of men. He invites us to come. As he invited these ladies this morning to come, he invites us to come this morning. Today, what did, um, what did Jesus say to Peter when uh, Jesus came out and walked down the water? Peter was in the boat. What did he say to Peter? He said, come. He said, come. He said, come. The rich young ruler what did he tell the rich young ruler? This is over and over and over throughout the Gospels, this word come. Rich young ruler says, go sell everything you have and come follow me. There's an invitation for all people. Jesus welcomes them. He says, come, follow me. Will we answer that invitation? Will we come? Will we answer that call? He's not calling you to come and be religious. He's calling you to come into a relationship with him, to grow in your relationship with him, 
and come and follow him. So that's number one is come. He invites you this morning to come to him and see. The next one is see. Look at verse 6. Uh, right after he says, come, it says, see the place where he was lying. He invited the women to come and examine the tomb. To examine the tomb. He, the angels had knew what the ladies had experienced. And he says, now come and look and see with your eyes the empty tomb. And not only are they going to get to see the empty tomb with their own eyes, but they're going to get to see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. My friend, today we see through the eyes of faith. We see through the eyes of faith. God invites us to come and see and know him and watch everything he's doing. With faith and the Bible, you, my friend, have a front row seat greater than even the early church, greater than the early church, those that lived 15, 20, 30, 40 years after Christ, you have a front row seat by faith to witness the events of the Lord Jesus Christ by reading your Bible and opening it up and reading these stories about him walking on water, him cleansing the temple, him dying on the cross, him rising from the dead, him uh, changing water to wine. You have a front row seat. Amazing. Through the pages of Scripture, the, the word is see. He, he invites him to come see. Uh, we need to take a close look and see with our eyes what Christianity has to offer. People need to stop and realize that and understand that, that it offers forgiveness of sin, eternal life. And in this life, it doesn't just start in eternity, but this new life starts here and now in this life in this life for those who will come and who will see who will open their eyes and see the things that God has to offer in his word that's his invitation to you this morning on Easter Sunday morning the third one the third um, invitation to you this morning this is presented in this passage is go is go look at verse 7 he says there it is go <laughs> go quickly Go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. Mark 16, 15 says, says, same word starts with, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And and he says, go quickly. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency for us to get the message out of Christianity, to let people know that they can have a new life in Christ. Every single day, 150,000 people step from time to time into eternity and we have the words of eternal life we have this blessed hope we have this amazing word of God and this message of Christianity that can change people's life but we got to go my question for you this morning is who are you rubbing shoulders with who are you rubbing shoulders with who are you making an impact for for Jesus Christ Christianity is more than a Bible study. It's more than a, an academic pursuit of knowledge, okay? Christianity is, is, is putting our feet to the pavement and reaching out to people and forming a relationship with people, witnessing to people, bringing people along, and being patient, being patient with people, being long-suffering with people. Sometimes it takes a while, but we got to be patient, and we got to go and bring people into the kingdom. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm totally for witnessing off the cuff, witnessing to a complete stranger. I'm all for, if you want to form a relationship with someone, get to know them, you know, relationship evangelism. But ever how you do it, whether you just witness off the get-go or you form a relationship, he calls us to go. He, he calls us to go. Horatius Boner said this, the soul and eternity of one man depends on the voice of another. Depends on the voice of another. That one goes, his, his statement, Horatius' statement, it kind of goes with go and it goes with the next one. The final thing I present to you this morning from Matthew 28 and this, this amazing statement made by the angels on this glorious resurrection morning is tell, is tell. It says, go quickly and, t- and the, tell, there it is, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. I want to introduce to you a gentleman by the name of William Sangster. William Sangster was a famous Methodist minister. He lived from 1900 to 1960. In 1958, he got diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, and he passed away on May 24th, 1960, two weeks before his death on Easter Sunday morning. Um, his daughter was take, came to the house to take care of him. It was Easter Sunday morning, and he wrote, he wrote her a note. And I want to read to you the note that he wrote his daughter. He says, he says this, How terrible to wake up on Easter and have no voice to shout, He is risen. He couldn't talk no more. The, uh, his daughter said the only thing he had the ability to do with, with just one of his hands and three of his fingers was he was able to write a little bit. And he wrote this statement, How terrible to wake up on Easter and have no voice to shout, He is risen. He had spent his whole life doing that. But listen to what he says, though. Far worse to have a voice and not to shout. And not to shout. We have to open our mouth is the point I'm saying. We have to open our mouth and be the, and be the voice of the Lord in the earth and share with people the good news of the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to open our mouth. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I've been there where you're in tough witness encounter. Your knees are knocking. Your palms are all sweaty and you're having a difficult time. But we just got to press through and, and, and do it because we have a voice and we can share the gospel. So that's what we see in the, in the resurrection story is come, see, go, and tell. And my final presentation to you this morning my final statement to you this morning to all people within the sound of my voice is this ponder this question how much are you worth how much are you worth how much are you worth God says that you are worth the death of his son And that everything that took place on Good Friday, the crucifixion, him dying on the cross for your sins, was to show you how much you're worth. You are worth the death 
of his son. He loved you. He knows you. And he, he gave his only begotten son so that you could have a new life. And then you look at the glorious resurrection. He rose from the grave so that you could receive him as your Lord and Savior. Have you confessed him with your mouth? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? See, there's this problem. Man has this problem, and God has dealt with it through the cross. Our greatest problem is, is our sin, is our fallen nature, is all the times that we've blown it in life. That is man's greatest problem, is his sin. And God and his love and grace and mercy and truth and loving kindness reached down to earth and he, he slay it. He dealt with it for you by his death on the cross so that you could be forgiven by, his, by the sacrifice that he made at Calvary. Okay, so he dealt, with, he, he dealt with our sin at the cross. He did it for you. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do, okay, to accept, to, 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 uh, there's nothing you can do to gain God's acceptance. He did it for you at Calvary. And then to solidify it, to fulfill prophecy, to, to make it an eternal covenant, to prove what he says in his word is true, he rose from the grave. Okay? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I ask you this morning, have you come? Have you seen? Are you going? Will you tell? That's our job. That's our job. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the truth of the resurrection. Thank you that you offer us new life, forgiveness of sin, eternal life. You, you, come, into our, you come into our life today and you change our situations, situations with our family, with our life, where we've just blown it and we've wrecked it. You come in and you change our hearts and you fix those things. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're far from God right now and you want to rededicate your life, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand and, and just say, Pastor David, please pray for me. And I'm going to pray for you. So if that's you, in your heart, call out to God and say, God, what he's talking about is near and dear to my heart. And open your heart and come and see and know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. His desire for you is that you have a personal relationship with him father god in heaven thank you lord
for the great sacrifice that you made. Thank you, Lord, that our new life is because of what happened on this weekend. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you.